Hey, miserable bitches. We are back with another episode of Misery Manor. You know by this point, but my name is Cody. My name is Winifred. <laughs> you have the red <laughs> hair for it. And before we get started, make sure you leave your manners at the door. Speaking of Winifred Sanderson, what did you think of Hocus Pocus? Oh, well, I fell asleep in the first 20 minutes. Well, see, guys, <laughs> listen, don't be a judge. Like, don't think that that's what Emily feels for the movie because Emily falls asleep sometimes just having mid-conversation with me. So that doesn't mean that she doesn't <laughs> like it. She just has borderline narcolepsy. I fell asleep during... Or is it narcissism? Which no, one is... narcissism's N when you're like you really are oh. in love with yourself. Oh, so you're definitely Okay, not then me. you're narcoleptic. You borderline, for real. Am I? Oh, our DoorDash. I don't know, but um, no, so I love, well, not loved it. I thought Hocus Pocus on a scale 1 through 10, I'm going to give it a 7.5 out of 8. Um, exactly what Lane said. It didn't give me the spooky vibes, because the first one, there was parts in it that were kind of spooky, and I liked that, and I appreciated that. Oh, like um, when you're little. Yeah, but like this one, they try to make it too like mainstream, like the apothecary or whatever it's called. Apothecary was, was fucking Walgreens. Like, yeah, hee hee ha But hey, love the representation of drag queens in it. Miss Ginger Minge was in it. <laughs> I thought that was fucking cool. But overall, it was a good start to Halloween or spooky season. We're officially yes. in October, which is also known as me and Emily's birthday month. Scorpio. Scorpio. Hey, although. I really don't think me and you are any part of Scorpio. I totally am. I'm definitely not. I'm like more of like the Libra side of like, you know, because we're on the cusp. What are you not of? Like that fucking, you know how they say like, if you're in the club, like the Scorpio people are going to be the ones that are like judging. No, bitch, I'm the life of the party. I ain't no judge. Oh, I judge everybody. But is see, yeah, <laughs> so you are, you are, you are, Miss Winifred. How do you know if you like someone or not? You, you get to know them for their heart. And okay, you say, hey, do you want a drink? No, because if I came up to you and said, hey, babe, like, I'm Cody, you'd be like, cool. That's Scorpio. <laughs> That's me. And I'm like, not like that. I welcome anybody and everybody that wants to have a pleasant conversation. Anyways, um, yeah, it's officially spooky season. The weather this weekend was nice and crisp. Oh, I don't well, know. Good. Well, eight, low 80s, 70s. Even at night, it's been around the 60s, which... For those of you who are new to here, we live in, like, the Houston area. Um, so that's cool weather for us. Hopefully yeah. it's... Alex. The morning feels nice. It is. It's not so fucking humid and nasty and bleh. But even, like, this afternoon, like, my car was hot when I got in it. But, like, it wasn't, like... Fucking, like, Satan's butthole. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, see, no, I can't do that. The worst is when you sit in your car with short shorts on and the fucking leather makes you go, holy moly, Jesus Oh is my real. God, and Josh's oh my God, other the weekend, leather. I don't oh know, it's so hot. So, so hot. But yeah, it's spooky season. I'm so excited. We'll have to get some spooky episodes coming out for y'all soon. Um, I just kind of like the true crime aspect of it, but we'll, yeah. we'll pull out some um, spooky shit soon. 
And we have two new Patreons this week. We have Kagan and we have Lauren. Yay. Thanks, Hi, guys, for being a Patreon. This week, we're going to be uploading a new Patreon episode, and it is about the death of Sarah Porter. Really interesting episode. You're going to love it. So head on over to our Patreon if you want to be part of that. You get exclusive episodes. You get fun shit in the mail, which Emily just sent out a bunch of them today. We're going to be doing that this week. You yeah, said, yeah, I have them all boxed up. Uh, the new Patreons, I've sent out your letters. Cool. Awesome. Bath Bombs. Those are coming. Those are coming, baby. So join our Patreon. Link is on our Instagram bio, which is <coughs> at bless <Sorry>. you. <coughs> Anymore? No. I'm kidding. Um, link is in our bio at Misery Manor Podcast. And before we get started on this episode, please do not forget to rate, review, and subscribe, darling. All right. So let's get into it. This is why we're here. Enough jibbing and jabbering and judin and judala. All right. So today's episode of Misery Manor, we are going to be talking about the 2005 unsolved and kind of controversial murder of Nona Carol Dirksmeyer. So this one's going to take you on a roller coaster of fucking emotions. Um, we had such good feedback from the Ellen Ray Greensburg case that I decided to do another case that's kind of like the same vibes. Mm -hmm. um, and as always, we love to hear your thoughts. So head on over to our Instagram page, like I said, at Misery Manor Podcast, and let us know your thoughts in the comments of this photo on our page. All right, so let's start by going into the background and upbringing of Nona Dirksmeyer to really kind of set the scene and give you some insight on the type of person that Mo Nona was. So Nona Carol Dirksmeyer was born, she was almost a Christmas baby. She was born on December 26, 1985 mm -hmm. to Paul and Carol Dirksmeyer in Zachary East Baton Rouge Parish of Louisiana. So Nona was named after her loving grandmother, Nona Blanche Dirksmeyer. So Nona had four brothers, John, Mike, Greg, Paul Jr., and one sister named Judy. So very large household, like very Brady Bunch vibes for me. I don't know if they had a cleaning lady, but very Brady Bunch vibes for Is me. Is that what Alice was? Yeah, she was like their maid, like their cleaning lady. I thought she lady. was their nanny. Nanny, maid, whatever. Oh. So at a very young age, Nona's parents divorced. And she gained a stepfather named Dwayne and a stepmother named Marjorie. So okay. the divorce also gave her a stepbrother named Eric and two stepsisters, Sarah and Eileen. So one of the big things about Nona is that she was a very, very, very pretty girl. And people commented on her looks and her charming personality essentially her entire life. Even as a newborn baby, all the way up, they were just like, God, you were beautiful. Such a beautiful baby. You're such a beautiful this, that, and the other. So she had always heard it, right? Yeah. So Nona eventually went on to compete in beauty pageants, which we'll get into more later, and had a great career in it growing up. So her looks, I just showed you a picture right before this, but her looks remind me of those American dolls. Do you remember those? Yep. Um, she looks like Samantha. No, not Kit. Samantha. She looks like Kit with the no. short blonde hair. Oh, I was thinking of Kristen. I mean, she didn't have long hair, short hair, but. Yeah, but I remember Kit had the blonde bob. My sister had one and that's just what Nona. You know, if you pulled the strings in the back of their neck, their head fell off. Uh, I did not know that. 
So Nona had blonde hair, blue eyes, and a big, beautiful smile. And she had a personality and charisma that matched. So she was described as being very sweet, very caring, and very loving. So many people also said that she was painfully shy, like when they first met, when she first met new people. But her getting into pageants and singing, oh, which okay. we'll get into later, was her way of trying to step out of that. So they said, you know, once you got to meet her, um, you know, she was very lively, but at first she's like very painfully shy. And Well, that's a different type of like to be in a pageant and stuff is different than being like yeah. nervous socially. Right. No, I get it. So Nona was also very gifted and talented in music and she could sing very, very, very well. So Nona and her family eventually moved to Dover, Arkansas. And in 2004, she graduated from Dover High School. Oh so Nona wanted... And just a year later, she dies. I know. So Nona wanted to continue her studies. So she went on to attend Arkansas Tech University in Russellville. And in the fall, oh, in the fall of 2004. So right when she graduated um, high school, she started college. So although the university was only about 15 minutes away from her family's home, Nona wanted to experience college life and like be independent. So she decided to get an apartment for herself. Not to mention, her new stepfather had some pretty strict rules, and Nona thought if she moved out, she could truly experience being, you know, having freedom outside of being, you know, in her parents' home. Um, so by the fall of 2005, Nona was a becoming a sophomore, and because of her passion and love for music and singing, she was majoring in music education. So Nona was involved in several choir groups at the university during the weekends, as well as her church uh, choir group. So members of Nona's church said that she had the voice of an angel, and when she sang, that even her normal speaking voice was very angelic. Okay. So while she wasn't studying, she was very involved in music, instruments, and all things like that. Like she had quite the passion for it. So going back to the pageant. So uh, actually not going back to the pageants yet. I skipped ahead. So on top of that, Nona gave additional time that she had to her community. She was very involved with Big Brothers and Big Sisters. Um, that organization and had a huge passion for helping others that were not as fortunate as her. So I want to mention as a child, it was reported that Nona was sexually abused by her biological father <gasps> and her mother, Carol, did not find out until after he died when Nona was just <gasps> 10 years old, which means that the abuse was happening at a very, very early age. So Nona was always terrified to tell anybody about the occurrences, but she did tell a close few, which we'll get into later. So when Nona's mother found out about the sexual abuse, she was horrified and she said, quote, it's horrible. It's such the end of my world. I just couldn't believe something like that would happen. But I knew enough to know that what she was telling me was the exact truth. I didn't know that part in this case. Right. So because of this, she volunteered at groups like Big Brothers and Big Sisters, which mm -hmm. for those of you that aren't familiar with this organization, basically this is a group um, of people that volunteer to be, quote, like Big Brothers and Big Sisters to children and young teens who just kind of need a mentor in life. Yeah. So Nona was very dedicated and involved with this group because she wanted to ensure that other children could enjoy their childhood and have someone to talk to if they needed or felt alone in any situation, um, kind of like what she was doing when she was going through the sexual abuse. 
So like I mentioned briefly earlier, Nona had a passion for something else, which was even bigger than her love of music and singing. So Nona loved the beauty pageant world and used these platforms to raise awareness for children um, involved with abuse and sexual abuse. So she wasn't just in it to, you know, be glitz and glam. She thought of this as an opportunity to use her platform to speak out to um, the community about child abuse, sexual abuse, and what have you. Okay. So just to go over some of her titles, Nona was a former Polk County Fair Queen. She was also Miss Teen Mountain Nebo. She was also crowned Miss Petty Jean Valley in 2005, and she even went on to compete in the Miss Arkansas pageant that very same year. So during all of these pageants, like I said, Nona made child abuse her platform and was very open and very honest about her experiences, which is what the judges liked. Um, so Nona started dating a boy named Kevin Jones during high school. They had actually known each other since kindergarten and were like best friends their entire life. So remember how I mentioned that um, Nona only told a little bit of like a small group of people about the child yeah. abuse. So Kevin was one of the only people that she trusted when she was little and she actually told them when they were growing up. Oh, wow. Um, so eventually when the two entered child, uh, high school, their friendship turned into love and they started dating. Aww. So they were inseparable. So they were uh, around each other all of the time. They walked uh, each other to classes. They sat together at lunch, all that cute, good stuff. Aww. So at the time of Nona's, Nona's death, they had been dating for close to six years. So Kevin's oh. mother, Janice, who we're going to talk about more later, stated that she knew, she had no doubt in her mind that these two were going to get married at some point. She was like, I was just basically waiting for him to propose because I knew at any minute they were going to be. But they were only, what, like 19? Yeah, 19, 20. But they, had, they have known each other since kindergarten. So it's like, yeah. you know, they knew everything about each other. And right. um, like I said, at the time of her death, they had been dating for close to six years. Um, and the families of Nona and Kevin's were all very close too. Like they would all hang out. They would take oh. trips together. The moms were close. So it was just like, kind of like the perfect, you know, setting for them to really develop a strong, yeah. strong relationship. So Nona and Kevin Jones were actually still dating during her freshman and sophomore year of college, but Kevin decided to go to the University of Arkansas for his sophomore year, which put a huge strain on their relationship because up until this point, they had been together through high school, through middle school, yeah. through college, like everything. And then one day he's like, you know what, I think I'm going to transfer. And she's not going to be like, oh, no, you can't because he was going to try to better his studies, you know? Um that's hard because then so many people judge you. They're like, it's just you're only 19. But I mean, maybe I they had a different yeah. situation. So they tried some like long distance dating to see if they can make it work. And they wanted to. But some of you, I mean, some of you may know, but like long distance, especially when you're young and in college, is like not the easiest. So on December 14th, 2005, Kevin Jones came home from Christmas break and he was so excited about seeing Nona that evening. So he had been away at the University of Arkansas for some time. So he was really looking forward to coming home for the holiday to spend some quality time with her. So on his drive to Dover to his parents' house, he stopped by Nona's apartment to see her. 
So the two hung out, they watched movies, they talked about their plans for the following day, etc. So Kevin left Nona's house at around midnight that night and drove back to Dover, which was about 30 minutes away from her oh. apartment. So when Kevin got home, the two spoke on the phone till about 1.30 a.m. So the following day, December 15th, 2005, Kevin knew that Nona, so this is the next day, yeah. Kevin knew that Nona had to wrap up some end of the semester exams later that afternoon, but Nona said, you know, I'll text you when I'm done and we can hang out. Um, and he also knew that in between her exams that she had to meet up with her like mentee, her little sister is what she called it, um, just to, like for a check-in. From the From the big girls. brothers, big oh, sisters, okay. like, so she had to like, I think it was like get lunch with the girl that she was mentoring. So she took an exam, then she had to go do that. And then she had to go uh, take another final exam. Oh, so she was like, I'm going to be really busy today, but I will text you when I get a chance. So that morning at 9.04, Nona texted Kevin and said, quote, good morning, Cuddle Muffin. I love you and I hope you have a great day. So oh. while Kevin was in town, he promised his mother Janice, who was the school librarian, that he would go with his mother as her date to the school faculty faculty holiday party which i think is so adorable so kevin had just figured that you know that he would go over to nona's um, house after the party had ended but the party was set around uh, 7 p.m that evening and he was hoping that maybe he could swing by her apartment prior to that and just kind of see how things are going yeah so as the day continued kevin found it very strange that he had not heard from nona at all besides that good morning text message but figured you know maybe she's just very preoccupied maybe she's just focused on her exams her community work what have you so as pa hours pass and it's now like approaching the afternoon hours with still no texts or calls from nona kevin is starting to grow very concerned right because it's just been that morning right and he's like well this isn't like her at all like we always talk like she's always updating me on what's going on so we thought this was like very strange and unlike nona so kevin actually texts nona at 4 30 in the afternoon and said quote hey you alive but no response so yeah. i think nothing of that text message but later they bring it up in the trial i literally sent that message to someone last night well when you drive home and you don't say hey i made it home i'm like did you die bitch? like yeah. where you know but they were like oh like but why would he so anyways i just want to point that out they did bring that up in his trial but he did text her at 4 30 afternoon and say hey you alive so around 6 p.m so like i said no response so around 6 p.m so about an hour and a half later, Janice and Kevin head to the holiday party. Okay. And his mom said the whole way to the party, he's like so concerned. He's like, Mom, this isn't like her. I'm so worried. Like, I don't understand. Like, I'm I'm scared I'm not gonna have a good time at this party with you because I'm just I'm so I'm so nervous. He was he didn't wasn't concerned that she was mad. He was concerned. concerned. Well, he didn't know what was going on. For a minute, he did think, Well, is she mad at me? Did I do something wrong? You know, he just is going through a mix of emotions, but he doesn't understand why she's not texting him back. So Kevin's like, you know what? I've got to think outside of the box. So he calls his friend who he knew lived near Nona's apartment and was also a pizza delivery guy for that area of town. Oh, okay. So Kevin called him up and was like, hey, can you check on her? So he was like, hey, man, like, I'm really worried about Nona. I have not heard from her like barely at all today. She said she would call me. It's getting late. Can you please like go by her apartment and let me know if you at least see her car out front? So being a good friend, Ryan Whiteside drove to the apartment complex. So when he gets there, he did see Nona's car in the parking lot. And he's like, okay, well, I'll just park my car and go up to the apartment and knock on her door to make sure oh, she's wow. okay. So Ryan approached the apartment door. 
He knocked on the door. He rang the doorbell a few times, knocked some more, but no answer. So Ryan called Kevin on his cell phone. It was like, hey, man, so I checked. Her car's here, and I can even see a light that's on in her apartment. So I knocked on her door several times, said her name, but nothing. Like, she never came to the door, and I don't hear or see anything going on in her apartment. So that concerned Kevin, you know, to say the least. So I don't know what he was thinking at this point. Like, you know, was he thinking, what did I do to her? I don't know if he was thinking, is she okay? I'm sure he was just flooded with a shat ton of emotions. Mm -hmm. So he's freaked the hell out at this point. He tells his mom, he's like, mom, like Ryan just went over to the house. Her car's there. The light's on. She's not coming to the door. Like, this is not good. So Janice was like, we got to go. So they leave the party and they drive to Nona's apartment to investigate and figure out what in the fucky fuck is going on. So once they get there, Kevin ran up to the front door and he's like knocking on it. He's banging on it. He's screaming her name, nothing. And he didn't get a single, like nothing, no sounds, no nothing coming from inside the apartment. So Kevin was like, oh wait, let's check the sliding glass door. Maybe it's open or maybe we can at least see it. Cause she had those blinds. Remember the those blinds? blinds? Is that the ones that like dangle down? Yeah. Venetian yeah. yeah. So she had those. Um, and he was like, well, and you know, sometimes if they get caught on something, you can like see yeah, it. Yeah. So he's like, let's go check the the blinds and see. Well, so, and most people would keep them open right. because they would use that door or whatever. Right. Yeah. So Nona he was like, you know what? But Nona has always used the burglar bar, you know, that bar that you uh-huh. put in. And um, so he was like, I don't, you know, it's probably going to be locked, but we'll see. So as they come up to the sliding glass door, he can like peek in just a little bit. And he sees that the burglar bar was not in its place. So he was like, okay, then we should be able to open up this door quite easy. So they like pull on it and they eventually are able to pry the door open. So immediately when he walked in though, on the Venetian blinds, he could see blood. Oh my God. And he's like, like, yeah, he was like, this is not fucking good. So they make, you know, he have to like pull them and like go in. So he like moved them and they go into the living room and they saw Nona face down, lying in a pool of her own blood, naked, and only wearing white socks. When Kevin saw Nona's lifeless body on the ground, he obviously fell to his knees, bawling his eyes out, and immediately started to revive her while his mother, Janice, called 911. So Kevin tried to perform CPR, and also, weirdly enough, and this is going to come up in trial a lot, he laid on top of her body because he said her body was so cold, he was trying to warm her her up. That's not weird. When you love someone, I know I don't find that, like, that strange. I didn't find it strange either, but, you know, in the trial, which we'll get into, they're going to bring all this up. I so, mean, like, haven't you ever done something strange in a panic? Like Right. I mean, and who's to judge what people do in that moment? So it was also reported that Kevin either put his hand over her wounds or maybe even stuck his fingers inside some of the stab wounds to try to stop the bleeding. But of course, it was too late. And again, those tactics they're going to use against him in trial as well. well. Yeah, and that is a little weird just because like her heart isn't pumping anymore. So blood isn't coming out of those wounds Exactly. So, of course, the police and the paramedics got there pretty quickly and they confirmed Nona had been dead for some time. So upon closer examination by the investigators on site, it had appeared that Nona had been stabbed in her chest, her neck was sliced, and she had a bunch of stab wounds in her shoulder. So at first, when I heard she was stabbed in her shoulder, 
I was like, well, that's a very interesting spot. No, but after they investigated, they said she likely tried to defend her neck when they were stabbing it, that she put her shoulder up and they missed the neck and was just stabbing her shoulder instead. Like in a fighting. Like she, like, you know, like when you tense up and your shoulders go up. Yep. Um, they were stabbing her shoulder as as opposed to getting her neck, which just breaks my heart thinking about that picture I showed you and her trying to defend herself. So she had also been severely beaten in the face so bad that they said her face was basically crushed. (gasps) Oh. So the investigators and the metal examiner later confirmed that Nona had been bludgeoned to death by the heavy base of a floor lamp. So her hair was completely caked in blood and her nude body was covered in blood as well. So the Pope County coroner, uh, Mr. Leonard, told the press that Nona's killer was most likely right-handed. So I want you to remember that. And based on the slash marks and the time of the death, it was determined to be between 11 a.m. and 1 p.m. on December 15th that she passed. So investigators started looking at the evidence and the weapons in Nona's apartment and found that the floor lamp had a bloody handprint on it, as did the light bulb. So although she was naked, there were no signs of rape or sexual assault, which investigators found very strange. Why would she strip naked? And why was there no signs of rape next to her on the floor? So investigators also found a condom wrapper that was placed on the kitchen countertop, but no condom or no. Yeah. No condom, just the wrapper. And we're going to get into that later. So here's the frustrating part and the bad, bad, bad shit that the investigation did on this part. So they never took any samples of the blood that was found in the apartment. The door was never dusted for um, prints, only the front door, not the sliding door. And they never checked the upstairs of Nona's apartment to see if there was any clues up there. You know why? because they had it in their mind that they knew who the killer was. So Kevin Jones spent several hours in interrogation and at the police station the night of Nona's murder and never once asked for a lawyer, which a lot of people are saying that's because he felt so confident that he wasn't even going to be the person of suspect that he didn't think he needed a lawyer. Well, and he could have thought him being there, he was helping. Right. But, you know, they always say lawyer up, lawyer up, but he never asked. So, when asked directly, because, you know, they do all these tactics and interrogation, they said, did you kill Nona? And he said, quote, I would kill myself before I ever hurt her. I wouldn't hurt a hair on her head. So as we know, one of the tactics and the investigators will do during interrogation is they, they like leave the room and like leave the suspect in the room with the cameras rolling to kind of see how they act, you know? Yeah. And so once they left, Kevin was clearly upset and he was bawling his eyes out. And at one point he turned to the side and violently just started punching the chair over and over and over again. So a lot of people are like, see, he's, you know, he's angry. He's this, but yeah, are like, I'm sure he is angry because he couldn't get a hold of her all day. Right. And he probably thought, what if I would have been there earlier? Exactly. That's what I was thinking. But some people are like, see, he's violent. See, he's violent. But he. He said, no, I was so had all this pent up frustration that I could have done this. I could have done that. What if I was there? What if I had just shown up? You know, like, you know, sometimes like when you can't get a hold of someone, you're like, well, I could just like walk by. Right. Like, well, I mean, like someone like my dad is the worst. He has all of these. He has earbuds. He has a phone. He has an iWatch. He has all this like that he could easily 
get a text message and he won't answer it. Right. And then, you know, he's 78. He goes outside in his jeans in 99 degree weather and like, yeah, tends to his tomatoes or whatever. I'm just like, where have you been the last six hours? Oh, well, I got caught up doing this, that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, ma'am. Right. So I didn't think of him punching the chair over and over again was any sign of being violent. I just think he's just so upset. He's overwhelmed with all these emotions. So they come back in the room and they said, Kevin, we know you did it. Someone saw you enter her apartment and do it. And he kept saying, like, he said, quote, talk to everybody. I did not. I promise. What can I do to show you that I did not do it? Tell me, tell me, please. I will prove it to you that I didn't do it. Because, well, like, what was he doing all day that day? He just, hang- so I'm going to get to the, uh, his stories. So well, my point of saying that about my dad, because I didn't finish, was, like, there have been times where I thought, well, I mean, I can easily drive over there. But it's like two hours of my life to right. like go over there. For him but I'm to like, see him. Okay. <laughs> but he probably had that go through his right. mind. Exactly. So before they let him go, they took photos of his hands, his body, his arms, mm-hmm. and there were no marks or anything on him. And they said that Nona put up a fight to her attacker. Okay. So they were like, well, this kind of he would have something on him, you know. So the news of Nona Dirksmeyer's murder spread through the small town of Russellville and Dover very, very quickly. So then the news and the media outlets began playing videos of her most recent pageant where she wore her favorite black dress. So Nona was like a local celebrity in the small town and her murder not only scared the community, but they were very sad. They were upset and they wanted answers like they were demanding answers. Okay. So they're like, what happened? Who did this? How? Why her? How like how could this be? Um, so due to what they found in the apartment complex, investigators began questioning her boyfriend as well as the family members and other friends of Nona in her life for the next weeks and months leading up to the murder, mm-hmm. um, just to kind of see what this could have stemmed from. So here's the sad part. So some of her closest friends were open and honest with investigators and said and admitted that um, once her boyfriend, Kevin, decided to transfer to the University of Arkansas, that Nona was known to date and see other men. So after hearing this, investigators asked for the names of these men and questioned all of them, but they all had solid alibis. So Kevin was not aware of this and they told him this and he said it completely shattered him and broke his heart. Like he had no idea that she was doing that. And then to find it out after she's, you know, dead is just horrible. That happened to me with my ex. Oh yeah, he did that, but he was a piece of shit. He really was. So we can laugh about that. We'll do a case on him. No. So was it murder? Oh, true. So the police are doing everything they're supposed to be doing at this point. They're looking into her past. They're looking into recent events. They're talking to everybody close to her, questioning, like, what do you know? Who could have done this? Like, where were you when all of this happened? They also told Kevin, like, they're like, hey, at some point, you need to come back to the police station and we need to have you answer some more questions. Like, we're not done with you. So he literally told them, quote, I'll do anything that you guys want me to do. I will do a DNA DNA test. I'll do anything. So investigators start to canvas Nona's apartment. And they start. Finally. Yeah. And question some of the occupants in the nearby apartment. So one person of interest was a guy named Gary William Dunn. So Gary had quite the fucking record, actually a pretty extensive one. So he had been arrested for stealing and selling stolen property 
To add to this, Gary also spent two years in prison on a six-year sentence for randomly attacking and threatening to kill a female jogger in 2002, which I'm going to get into that later. So they were like, oh, this guy, yeah, he could have done it. So then he takes a a polygraph test, and the investigator was like, no, he passed it with flying colors. It's not him. So they let him go. But we're going to get back to him. So going back to Kevin Jones. So investigators thought it was very interesting how Kevin Jones laid on Nona's nude body and happened to place his hands and fingers on her wounds. I mean, essentially by doing this, he contaminated the body and the murder scene. Okay, but if he grabbed her, you said she had stuff in her shoulders. If When you grab someone, don't you... I know. I think they're just trying, like, we're going to get into this later. They're trying to plant this on him any way that they can. I just don't feel like he was like, oh. I don't think he fingered her fucking holes, like her wounds by any means. (laughs) No. So obviously there's two ways to look at this. So either he did that on purpose, thinking that this is how he can make sure that he can give an answer as to why his DNA is all over Nona's body, or which I think he was just in shock and in love and was trying to save his girlfriend's life when he came through that door, right? Yeah. So the Arkansas Gazette, which is a newspaper, reported that Kevin Jones showed up to the police station for further questioning and he agreed to take a polygraph test. Oh, God. But he, quote, failed it miserably. So the mis- uh, so so miserably, miserably that the guy who administered the test for him said he hadn't seen anybody fail it this bad in his 28 years of practice. That would be me. I would be so nervous. <laughs> I'd be like, shaking. I'd be so nervous that I'd probably admit to it and not actually have done it. That's so, a thing too. Yeah. So as we all know, you like you cannot make a conviction based on the results of a polygraph test. But once you fail, you're basically screwed in the eyes of the investigation. So they're going to look at you as though you're a bad person. You're a liar. You're a killer. Um, you've done this because you failed the test. So all of the eyes are on Nona's boyfriend, Kevin, at this time. After he failed the test, it was kind of like a, oh, you're nailing the... But what they is can't it? hold a nail in the coffee. No. The so... They can't hold that against him, so they're going to be looking for like something else that they can tie to him. So I want to point out that that day that Kevin showed up to the police station, this is so sad. So the day that he came in to answer more questions was also the day of Nona's visitation or like wake. And he had helped her family get everything together for it. He brought in the flowers. He helped get this, that, and the other together. And the police, when he got there, he was like, look, I have to be out of here because they take your phone. They take everything from you. He was like, I have to be out of here so I can see Nona's, you know, visitation. So they're like, oh, yeah, we'll promise you, like, we'll let you out. So he was there for seven hours and the police did not dismiss him. And he missed the visitation of his girlfriend. Kevin was devastated. He was distraught by this. But. Everybody at the visitation started to suspect that maybe Kevin did commit the murder. Why else would he not come? Was he guilty? Was he having, you know, second thoughts? Like, so now all these people are like, no, he fucking did it. He didn't even show up. So Nona's stepfather, Dwayne, even said, quote, quote, and all of a sudden, it's like a light bulb went off in my head. I said, wouldn't it be funny if it was the boyfriend? Which I don't know if those are the proper words by wouldn't it be funny, but yeah, that's what he said. Quote. Okay. <laughs> Stepdad seems like a dodo. Right. So the night of the visit. So the night after the visitation, the day which is the day before the funeral, the police knocked on Nona's family home and the parents told and he and the 
investigators told the parents that Kevin Jones murdered <gasps> their daughter and told them the story that was pretty convincing. So this but is just, how off of what evidence? Hearsay. This is what happened. This is why. That is not how that's done. So, so listen. So they told the family that this is what they believed and that Kevin murdered Nona in a jealous rage when he arrived at her apartment around noon on December 5th, 2005. They, 15th. I'm sorry. Oh. They suspected that Kevin made his way into Nona's apartment with the key because he did have a key and he was going to surprise her. Eventually, when he walked in, Nona not being, you know, aware that he's coming in he saw the used condom wrapper on nona's kitchen counter and went into a jealous rage hitting her in the face beating her with the floor lamp once she was knocked out he then stabbed her and finally slashed her neck and so the police is telling the family this and they are fucking horrified they're like i cannot fucking believe it but they knew him so nona dirksmeyer's funeral service was held on thursday december 22nd 2005 right before christmas and nona's birthday at first christian church disciples of christ in russellville so reverend stan mcdougall officiated her burial mcdougall is it dougall i think it's dougall on snapped it was dougall officiated her burial at Rest Haven Memorial Park in Russellville. So based on the news that they had heard from the police, the family did not want Kevin at the funeral service, but they didn't keep him from coming. So Kevin just sat in the back like of the church by himself, and they said he just cried the entire time. So he said, quote, nothing at that point mattered to me. I was hollow. All I could think about was the times that she and I had spent together and that I would never get to spend another time like that with her again. So Nona's mother, Carol, said that she could not even look at Kevin during the funeral service. That's kind of strange. That, but I guess, too, like, I don't know what it's like. No, to, to lose it. You're just wanting, especially yeah. when you don't have answers. You're just, you're right. yeah. So still all eyes on Kevin's as Kevin as a murderer at this point. So they just needed some more evidence to warrant an arrest. So finally, this is where it gets kind of like, oh shit. They tested the blood on the lamp, not test for DNA, but they just took finger samples in the uh, fingerprints that were in the blood on the lamp and the light bulb were a match for Kevin. So they were like, uh oh, they were a perfect match for his uh, fingerprints. So on March 31st, 2006, a few months after the murder, Kevin Jones was arrested and charged with the first degree murder of his girlfriend, Nona Dirksmeyer. I was like, oh, shit. But he touched her. What if he went and turned those lights on? Right. And he's going to talk about it in a minute. So Kevin, no, he wouldn't turn the light on on the floor because when he walked in, it was on the floor. So his blood, his fingerprint was not just on the lamp. It was in the blood. So Kevin Jones' pre-trial hearings began on Monday, June 9th, with the jury I know, selection. But he had blood from her on him, so right. he picked it up. Right. So okay. he. Okay. Right. I'm not concerned anymore. So with <laughs> with the jury selection, his trial began on July 12th. So the prosecution presented the bloody handprint on the floor lamp, which they said was Kevin's, and they told the jury that Kevin acted in a rage, punched her then beat her and then stabbed and killed her after seeing this open condom wrapper on the kitchen counter. Then to cover his tracks, Kevin left her apartment and later that afternoon made several calls to her 
and then called his friend Ryan to check on Nona. They also told the jurors that once Kevin got into her apartment and saw her body, he acted surprised, which then led him to lay on top of her. So by him play, placing his hands all over the wounds to contaminate them, that was able. that's how he was able to lay the foundation for why his DNA was found there. Then finally, they brought up Kevin's failed polygraph test. They were like, if all of this does not point to Kevin as the killer, I don't know what else you need. So after reviewing this part kind of gets me too. So after reviewing Kevin's phone records, it was brought up in the trial that Kevin did not actually start to call Nona till about 4:10 that afternoon. So he said he had been calling her all day and texting been, like, her. Texting her. So they were like, "Well, your story doesn't add up. If you started to panic by 6 p.m. because you had not heard from her." From 4.10 to 6 p.m., that is a really short fucking window for you to lose your fucking marbles over that you haven't heard from her. And they checked, and he had not placed a single phone call to her. But wasn't that after his this was, friend went and checked? No, this was the, he was like, well, remember he made the friend go check because he hadn't heard from her. Yeah. Saying, hey, I can't get a hold of her, but he hadn't called her at all during the day. He had There's, texted her. No, only at that 9, 10 that morning. A response when she said, hey, good morning, Cuddle Muffin. I hope you have a great day. His response was the last time he tried to outreach to her. Until 4, 10 that afternoon when he said, you alive? That was it. Nothing okay. between 9 and 4 was placed from his phone to try to get a hold of Nona. So they were like, why are you, why were you so concerned? But you didn't try to call her at least once. Like, why did you resort to having your friend go check on her when you didn't even call her by that point? I mean, didn't you say they were having issues with them being so far apart? No. Well, the only issues was after he found out that she was seeing other guys, but she, he didn't know that at that point. So the medical examiner, Dr. Charles Cox, came in on trial and he said that Nona was stabbed in the neck with defensive stabs on her neck and shoulder. So she had a massive wound on her head and he said that her killer quote fractured her skull, pushing her bone inward nearly three eighths of an inch, mm. damaging her brain and bruising her face severely. He called that a, the devastating injury. So he um. said that she would have likely not woken up after that blow. He also testified that there were direct blows to her face, possibly by fist. There was also evidence that she was strangled with such force that her, her hyoid bone was broken mm -hmm. and the blood vessels in her eyes were all burst. Um, did they ever find a weapon? The lampshade. The lamp, the base of the lamp that I keep oh. referring to was how she was killed. So he said that there was no physical evidence of rape, but he also made it known that he would not rule that out either, though. Because, okay. I mean, they didn't find well, semen, but if they used the, the condom, condom, exactly. So he believed that Nona was killed between 11 a.m. and 1 p.m. So her body showed very limited amounts of rigor mortis. And he said... Oh, question. Did she ever go to lunch with the girl? No, she never showed up to lunch for the girl either. Or her last exam. Or her last exam. So her body showed very limited amount of rigor mortis, and he said lividity was visible on both sides of her body, so front and back, which would indicate that she was moved from a prone position to one where she was on her backside at least six hours after she had died. Right. Which means, so lividity, can you explain it? You explain it pretty well. It's just like when the blood settles. So 
basically, like you were just about to say, she was laying one way. Six hours later, someone came and, and later the other way. And so the blood pooled there. Right. And prone position would either means either on your back or on your stomach. Okay. Um, so this threw things for a loop because when Nona was found, she was face down on the ground, right. which indicated somebody came back in and moved her. Which I'm like, maybe which, because her face looked insane. Well, well, they also brought up the fact that maybe she was raped. Maybe she was moved from a position once she was raped, moved back to the prone position. So Kevin's defense team told the jury that Kevin saw a guy named Blake Walters. Now, now remember, this is the defense team. So that Kevin saw a guy named Blake Walters around noon at a gas station, and they actually had a witness confirm this timestamp. So they also said that if Nona was murdered close to around noon, which they ex expected, that Kevin would in no uh, way have time to drive to Russellville from a Dover, attack and kill Nona, then return to Dover in the timeline laid out by the prosecution team. Right. To add, which I think this says a lot, a plumber who came to Kevin Jones's family home to work that day said, oh yeah, Kevin was here while I was working. Like he was here during those times. And then his grandmother also took the stand and said, no, I was with Kevin during some of that as well, which but they're like, oh, you're the grandma. Of course yeah. you're going to be like, I was with him. Like, are yeah. you a good grandma if you don't take up for your kid or your grandson? But the plumber part to me, I was like, okay, if the well, plumber says- it's a small town too. It is. So the defense also had their own polygraph expert come to take the stand. So he told the jurors that the polygraph that Kevin took was skewed. And after some investigating, he found out that the man who administered the test to Kevin that said he had failed it miserably was not licensed to give <gasps> it, was not licensed to give it out. He said in his 28 years, he had no license to give it. So the defense team continued and said that the investigators messed this whole case up by saying, once they got to the crime scene, the on, they only collected fingerprints around Nona's body, but never on the back door where they believed the killer had escaped. So they were like, you missed out on the opportunity of finding this person by not checking the back door. Well, and I'm wondering what the blood looked like on the blinds. Was it something that... It was wet, which we're going to get to, which means it had been, it, it was fresh. So like it, I'm just cons confused as if like oh, that was something like on the perpetrator when they were leaving right or did it splatter or spatter on there from when she was right hit and i don't want people to laugh at me by saying it was wet obviously but you know in some cases they look at the so if the blood's tacky or if it's dry to determine how long it has been there yeah but like oh well that was probably the second time they came and right. moved her exactly so um, I know. So you would think that they would test the fucking blood on the blinds, but they never did. So the defense team, this is the most, this is the part. So the defense team ran a DNA test on the condom wrapper and presented the fact that the DNA belonged to another male and was, that was not in their database. And it was not a match for Kevin Jones. Yeah, but they already said that he saw it and was mad because they thought it was from another man. Right. To but this made the jury go, oh, hmm. Okay, well, maybe it's somebody else. So given all of the evidence on both sides, this was tough and an intense trial. But in early June, the jurors were split for quite some time. It took them eight hours. So they were sitting there for eight hours because it was split. They were in, okay, wait, he was arrested in January. They started in June. And this is June 2007. So this is years after. Yeah. He's been in prison that whole time. So they find Kevin Jones now not guilty. 
of Nona's murder. So Kevin Jones went from finding his girlfriend's dead body to being charged for this murder, going through this whole trial, and now he's finally acquitted. Well, he's found not guilty. He's not found innocent. True. So Kevin said, quote, I felt like 10,000 pounds had been lifted off my shoulders. So when Nona's stepfather heard the not guilty verdict, he stood up and said, so this is in the trial. So when they said, Kevin Jones, we find you not guilty of the murder of Nona Dirksmeyer, he stood up in the trial and said, you got away with murder, Kevin. You got away with murder. Who said that? Her stepfather, Dwayne. What is wrong with him? So now they're like, well, who in the fuck killed Nona? Like, who else? We don't have anybody else. So in September of 2007, a man was arrested after being caught burglarizing a Russellville home. And his name was Was none other than Gary William Dunn. I knew because he had three names. Yeah. So that's the guy that I mentioned earlier that was questioned by police because he lived near uh, Nona and had a record. The thing that... He was what in 2002, like tried to attack Attack and kill. Yeah. Uh, So after being arrested for this burglary, of course, his protocol, uh, Gary was fingerprinted and swapped for DNA while being booked into jail. So months later, the DNA swaps came back as a consistent match for the DNA found on the condom wrapper left on the kitchen counter in Nona's apartment. So I use the words consistent match for a reason. So this does not mean that the the DNA was a perfect match, you know, like 99.9% or right, whatever. It's not a lot of DNA. Right. So this was a match where there was a number of markers that were consistent, but it would not be enough to take to the courtroom to prove to a jury that it's, you know, for certain him. But it's a good start. So like I mentioned, Gary Williams uh, Dunn lived in the same complex as Nona. Because he has no other reason to be in her apartment. Right. So investigators felt like they had their man. So they began to build a case around him. I'm guessing these are different investigators. Same ones. So the investigators interviewed Gary several times while he was in jail doing time for the robbery. So he told investigators that on December 15th, which was the day that Nona Mm -hmm. was murdered, that him and his mother went to Lowe's and bought several items. So the police were like, all right, well, cool. We'll head to Lowe's and we'll look at their surveillance footage. But when the police went to look at the Lowe's um, videotapes for that day, they had already been like recycled and recorded over. They were like, we don't have shit from that long ago. Well, they can still look at the... Receipts. I don't know. Well, however, the police were able to pull receipts from Gary's, uh, from Gary at Lowe's. And when they did, the receipts were from December 13th, not December 15th. They were from December 13th, not December 15th, like Gary had said. And that really damaged his alibi. They were like, why the fuck are you lying? You must be guilty. So on August 25th, 2008, investigators arrested Gary William Dunn for the murder of Nona, and his bond was set at $1 million cash. Because they were like, this guy's fucking dangerous. We're going to just go ahead and arrest the motherfucker. So the prosecutor said that they were going to going after the death penalty for Gary, just given everything, his track record, they were just like, get rid of him. So prosecutors were also going to use the DNA testing on the condom wrapper and the fact that he lied about his whereabouts at the time of the murder to prove him guilty. On top of everything that he was being charged with, the prosecutor, I say for a little bonus, added sexual assault charges as well, even though there was never determined that Nona was sexually assaulted um, and it was never brought up during Kevin Jones's trial either. 
So on September of 2009, during the pretrial hearing, Gary's defense team attempted to get the DNA test thrown out as evidence stating that the sample was too small and weak to be conclusive, but they were unsuccessful. So in April of 2010, the jury selection began, and it was determined that six women and five men would sit in the jury for the trial involving the murder of Nona Dirksbury by Gary Dunn. So the judge, you know, because this is huge in the media now, the judge warned the defense to not degrade the jury members that were involved in the Kevin Jones's trial. Because a lot of times, you know, they'll try to be like, those juries didn't know anything like, you know, yada, yada, yada. He was like, do not degrade them and do not, you know, don't say anything pointed towards them because this is a whole new group of jury members. Mm -hmm. So by this time, the case was getting, like I said, a shat ton of media coverage. Because of this, the judge moved the venue from Russellville to Clarksville, and the trial began on April 15, 2010. In attendance, there was over 100 witnesses called to testify during this capital murder trial. The prosecution told jurors that Gary told his mother during a November 2008 jailhouse phone call, he said, Mom, don't worry about the murder charge because if the police had any good evidence, they would have already arrested me and convicted me of murder. So they were like, But you are arrested. But not arrested him for the murder uh. of Nona. He just said that? He said that on the fucking phone to his mom. So the prosecution showed the jury the DNA test suggesting Gary was a strong match for the DNA on the condom wrapper. Then they told the jury about his false alibi on the day that Nona was murdered. Finally, the prosecution called Gary's ex-wife, but wife at the time of the murder, to the stand. And what she said really shook the jury. So she said that on multiple occasions, she saw Gary peeping into Nona's windows at night. Like she would wake up out of bed and be like, where's, where's Gary? Go out looking for him. And he's like looking in her window at <gasps> night. Um, like on her property? Yes. And like on- in, in her window, like looking through her windows. And she said this happened in the weeks leading up to her murder. She said she also caught him standing in um, outside of her front door on several occasions at like 2 a.m. in the morning. So they were like, oh. Was he, like, trying to figure out, like, when's the best time to, like, go in there and kill her? So um, she also said to the that jury. terrifying. She also said to the jury that he was, quote, obsessed with Nona. Like, would watch her when she was coming home from school. Like, she thought it was very weird. Like, and she had no reason to hold anything back. Like, she's his ex-wife. Like, she was like, fuck, I'm, I'm 100% sure he fucking did it. So... The defense heard this and they didn't waste any time attacking the prosecution's case. So instead, they just told the jury that the police had the right killer during the first trial, uh, but made sure not to attack or insult the jurors. So they didn't really have anything. They were just like, oh, well, y'all had it. They had it right the first time. It's Kevin. It's Kevin. It's Kevin. They had it right. So they didn't really have anything else to like go to battle with. So they brought Kevin to the stand and started questioning him. They asked him, Why did you grab Nona when you arrived at the scene? Was it not obvious that she was dead? And he said, quote, I don't know. I've never seen a dead body before. So then the defense team was like really trying to get under his fucking skin and like make him break. So they brought up the cheating. They kept saying, well, she cheats on you. She cheated on you. And they were trying to make him upset. So he told them that he did not know about any other men in her life until after she was murdered. So they were like, did it make you angry? Did it make you upset that she cheated on you? I don't know if she, did she like you as much as you liked her? Like all this stuff. And he said, yes. He said, quote, yes, I would have been very upset. But again, I did not know about this till after the death. So then they brought up his finger and handprint on the light bulb 
And he said, well, I don't know. At some point I must have touched it, which like you said, maybe he moved it out of the way. Maybe it was like when he walked in, it was on top of her or something. Yeah. So obviously they, so they failed ultimately to bring a strong enough case to get a conviction. So a relative of Gary Dunn's testified that he was with Gary in his apartment at the time that the murder took the place. He was like, Gary didn't do it. Gary was with me. But um, oh this God. was never confirmed or denied. They were like, well, Are we they don't like motorcycle men. That's what I'm picturing. They're actually not. I'll have to show you a picture of him. So the defense put a, detec a detective on the stand who interviewed Gary back in 2000, December of 2005, who confirmed that Gary was left handed. And he said he actually witnessed Gary signing documents with his left hand. And the only reason why I say this is because when they originally saw the body, they thought that somebody well, that clearly he stabs with his right. Right. They were like, well, you know, the right, the killer we thought was right handed and Gary's and if left. He, like missed her a bunch. She was like trying to slit her throat and he like kept missing because she was doing that. Right. And he it, also is just they didn't take that. Idiot. They didn't take that for anything. So on April 30th, 2010, the jury informed the judge that they had issues coming to an, a unanimous decision in the capital murder trial of Gary Dunn. So after eight hours of deliberation, the jury could not make up their mind. So they met again on the morning of May 1st. And after two hours, the judge consulted with the jury and ruled a mistrial. Are you... So with this, the prosecution was not fucking happy and they didn't waste any time telling the press that they're definitely bringing uh, Gary uh, Dunn back to trial. They're like, we're not done with this. We're going to bring him right back here and do it all over again. And they can't. In, double jeopardy. No, you can. So they did. And on March of 2011, a new trial was set to take place against Gary Dunn. So they were thinking that a fresh set of eyes and ears from the jury would make this case move. So they tried to pound hard on Gary's Dunn Gary Dunn's past criminal record during this trial and really shove it to the jurors. They were like, this is a bad guy. Look at all he's done. Like, why do you think he didn't do this? Look at his criminal history. Except for this trial, the prosecution had a star witness take the stand and her name was Kelly Jo Harris. So she testified that in 2002, Gary Dunn had attacked her on a hiking trail. She said she was jogging and he came up behind her, slammed her in the back of the head with a large stick he then pinned her down and attacked her while she was tell and while telling her that he was going to kill her. Luckily, she was able to escape and immediately went to the police. And when they found Gary, he was like hiding in the water, like in a stream, like knelt down, uh, like, bitch, are you a fucking fish? Get the fuck up out of there. Uh, so because of this, he served 18 months in prison. And when he got out, that's when he moved to the same complex that Nona was living in. However, given all of this new stuff, they basically just reiterated everything and had Kelly Joe take the stand. Out. I have to figure this out because I thought you couldn't be tried for the same thing twice. So, again, all this comes about and it resulted in another mistrial. <laughs> so the prosecutor later met with some jurors to find out why they could not convict Gary Dunn. And they said they did feel like Gary did murder Nona. But that law enforcement made too many mistakes during the investigation that they couldn't determine that he was guilty or innocent without reasonable doubt. I'm like, baby, you just said it. Yes, he did it. So shortly after that announcement, Kevin Jones filed a lawsuit against the Russellville police claiming that they conspired to frame him for the murder without any solid evidence and demanded to see the court documents. So once he and his team obtained those court documents and reviewed them, his attorney filed a $10 million lawsuit against the former chief of police and the investigators. Um, 
for ignoring evidence that proved Kevin Jones's innocence. However, this lawsuit was dismissed because it was outside of the appropriate time frame. Apparently, you have to file within three years of the murder, and it had been well over that. So, dismissed. So I want to add, though, known as parents have come forth and said that they are in a very good place with Kevin, and they no longer believe that Kevin is responsible for the death of their daughter. So sadly, to this day, no one has been charged for the murder of Nona Dirksmeyer. So here's an update on Gary Monsters Dunn. So in August of 2017, Gary Dunn was arrested, convicted, and sentenced to 10 years in prison on a firearms charge. But he only served one year of this and was paroled in August of 2018. Then on December of 2018, Gary Dunn was arrested in Russellville for two counts of attempted kidnapping and one count of indecent exposure to a woman in a shopping center. The guy's a fucking nasty ass monster. So in November of 2019, Gary Dunn accepted a plea deal and was sentenced to 15 years in prison. With 10 years, what well, with 10 years suspended, he will have to serve 70% of his uh, time before he's eligible for parole. So just an update on Kevin Jones. Kevin Jones is actually a criminal defense attorney himself. In I thought you were going to say a criminal. No, in practices in Russellville, Arkansas today. He was inspired by the injustice that he received during his trial, which led him to want to become a defense attorney himself. Wow. Which I think is amazing. I mean, but, it's like Nancy Grace. Yeah, that's true. So here's the question. So who do you think is responsible for the death of Nona? A lot of people think it's Kevin Jones. Oh. A lot of people think it's Gary Dunn, or some people think that they don't even have the right person at all. I think it's Gary Dunn. A hundred percent. I would bet. I would anything. bet money. It's Kevin. I mean, <laughs> Gary Dunn, not Kevin Jones, but I mean, it's up in the air. Nobody knows. But like I said, to this day, nobody has been charged for the murder of Nona. And I'm just waiting for something to hopefully come up. Kind of like what's our girl, uh, Ella? No, Brittany Drexel. You know, I didn't think anything was going to happen with that case. And, and then we it, were totally wrong. I know we were totally wrong. <laughs> totally wrong. If y'all haven't listened to episode eight with Brittany Drexel, please go listen to that. Because me and, and em, then listen to the update on what episode did we update? I don't on? remember, but you something? can Google it too. But yeah. crazy. Not what we suspected at all. But like I said, a lot of people think it was Kevin Jones. Some people think it was Gary Dunn. And some people think that it it could be somebody else that we don't even know. So just like y'all did with Ellen Ray Greensburg, please head over to our Instagram and let us know your thoughts. I'm going to post the photos of all of this and the case and all of that. But in the comments, I really liked reading all of y'all's thoughts and like people were having conversations with each other about what they thought. So head on over That's to our cool. Instagram at misery manor podcast and let us know your thoughts. Um, Till next time. Bye. Bye.